You ready there, Daria? Okay. Hit it. Well, tonight we'll uh, be able to talk about step 12. Having had a spiritual awakening is the result of these steps. We tried to carry this message to alcoholics, parentheses, or anybody else, and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Well, um, what comes to mind for me right now, actually, is just to let you know that uh, I am going to head off to uh, do a 10-day self-retreat, leaving on Sunday, uh, to practice for myself. Um, I, You hear me talk about retreats a lot, and uh, just want you to know that I am trying to walk my talk. I'm very grateful to be able to have that kind of flexibility in my life to be able to take 10 days and, and go off, especially two days after my taxes were filed. Well, that's, a, that's a good sign. Um, I, um, as I do sometimes, I picked up my own book today to see what I had to say about step 12. Well, you know, it's like looking through your old notebooks or something and remembering something you hadn't thought of. It's not like I carry that book around in my head. Um, but what uh, struck me uh, I was noticing the part that in step 12 that says breadth of practice and uh, there's two different headings for breadth of practice. One of them is daily mindfulness, and I think the other one is in all our affairs or something. Let's see what it is. Breadth of practice, all our affairs, and breadth of practice, daily mindfulness. And, and I was thinking, I thought there was something in here about depth of practice, too. Where's that? And Oh, well, maybe it's back in step 11. Oh, it's in step 11. And, and it got me thinking, because I, I like these two ideas of thinking about practice as having breadth, where it's involved in our lives and the, the many ways that uh, we can bring our spirituality. But also depth, which is where retreats particularly come up, uh, and I'm sure there's other ways we can think of depth, but that's the way that I connect with it when my meditation goes very deep and it goes very still or things really start to open up on that psychic level, that deep psychic level. So it occurred to me that there, this was one way of thinking about the relationship between step 11 and step 12, which I'd never thought of before, which was why, what makes it interesting to me because I like to have fresh ideas. And this, what seems like kind of a fresh idea to me is that um, the role of step 11 is for us to take our spiritual practice deeply. And, to, and, and that that's, that's an ongoing thing, the seeking sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact, that there's this, this ongoing process of improvement uh, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. Uh, but, that, but that step 11 is really about that depth of, of spiritual connection uh, and spiritual practice. 
spiritual experience. But that then step 12 is about the breadth of our experience as it talks about practice these principles in all our affairs. So that's something to chew on if you if you like. Um, but also, so I'll I'll talk a little bit about spiritual awakening, uh, as as we had that as a discussion topic before. Um, and someone asked what how I defined it. Um, and what occurred to me as I was listening to people share about that is that. A spiritual awakening is whatever we want it to be. One, and we get to define what it is. We it's it's not something, uh, you know, like that's a chair. We can kind of all agree that's a chair. Spiritual awakening it could be. It can take all kinds of forms or non-forms, and that's. I think that's good news. I know that when I first heard about enlightenment and then which I didn't hear the term spiritual awakening until I got sober but but I I thought that those meant the same thing and I think they do in some sense but but what I when I first heard about enlightenment what I thought it meant was you get to be high all the time for free Mm -hmm. and you don't have to take any drugs or buy anything so that's what I that's what I thought a spiritual awakening was and so, so I thought that that meant I was, I would always be happy, and I wouldn't have any problems. I, well, I, you know, the the real uh, delusion of it was that somehow a spiritual awakening was also going to affect my bank account. You know, uh, that kind of delusion. It's just going to fix everything. And well, well, if I had consciously thought about that, I probably would have been acknowledged that that wasn't true or likely. I don't think I w- it would have occurred to me that uh, a spiritual awakening didn't mean being high all the time or being happy all the time. Or, uh, or and maybe, feeling spiritual all the time. Feeling connected feeling sort of mystical presence all the time. And I would have said that it involved some big, uh, thunderous moment of, of the burning bush or the, uh, this enlightenment experience like the Buddha had, which, when you read about it, there's, it's, it's well... It's kind of strange in a way what they say happened to him that night. But it doesn't, it's not uh, so mystical as, as we might imagine it to be. And it's not um, so earth-shattering, except that, you know, the, the mythology of it. In any case, then that, that brings me... Uh, just to maybe the point of of talking about what I think spiritual awakening is now. And the reason I say it's whatever we want it to be is that I realize that the way I define spiritual awakening 
is that it's it's is something that uh, I'm comfortable with, and it it helps me to feel comfortable to have the definition of spiritual awakening that I have, and that is that uh, every one of the steps is a spiritual awakening, first of all, and that spiritual in itself is not some uh, distant or or even special state being spiritual. But this idea of practicing these principles in all our affairs is much closer to spirituality to me. Uh, following the precepts, uh, viewing the world with some compassion, viewing myself with some compassion, um, seeing how uh, my... Uh, I can be of service just by being honest, uh, by being real. I mean, a guy came over to my house today um, to work on our solar panels. Uh, we had to change out the inverter. And one of the things that I do somewhat intentionally is I let people know what I do because I find that by letting people know, very often it opens a door for them. So by the time... He left. He was asking me when my classes were at Spirit Rock. You know, not because I'm trying to promote my classes, but because I know this is a human being, and uh, you know, uh, I, I often tell people, "Oh yeah, I'm a recovering alcoholic." You know, I just put that out very quickly because, amazingly, often that winds up being of service to that person. Oh really? Oh yeah, I have a friend, or I used to go to A, or I go, or I'm in a program, or oh that. You know, all of us, and and you just, um, and that to me is part of my in all my affairs, and that to me is part of living my spiritual life. It's not that I'm promoting something or or, or proselytizing. It's just that I found that if I'm really open and honest, and actually take the risk of telling people the truth, <laughs> that it often leads to benefit for them, and then maybe for me too. It certainly I. I walk away from that encounter feeling like I had a connection and an intimate experience with someone rather than, you know, thanks a lot, here's the money for the, you know, solar panels. You know, it's, um... <laughs> so I think we do ourselves a disservice when we separate the idea of spirituality from the rest of our lives. To me, the front page of the newspaper is an opportunity to see uh, the failures of not uh, seeing the world through a spiritual vision. Uh, that that you know, greed, hatred, and delusion are what uh, the news is all about. Uh, And I guess that's one of the reasons I don't pay as close attention to the news as, uh, as I might. So uh, let me talk a little bit about uh, specifically about how I see spiritual awakening happening through the steps. Uh, I think that step one may be the most transforming spiritual may have been the most transforming spiritual event of my life when I, when I fully 
uh, realized my powerlessness over alcohol and that I need that I had to change. If there was ever a sudden awakening for me, like wow, and and everything changed, it was that, and it was that day when I stopped drinking and using. Uh, and I remember that day uh, very well. I, I, not that I remember what particularly what happened, a little bit about it, but more I just remember the feeling, the weight being lifted. And I, I know that doesn't happen for everybody, but it happens for a lot of people. Uh, and certainly once we turn that corner, there is a real sense of transformation having happened. And most of us at that moment probably would not say, oh, I've had a spiritual awakening. But what else would you call that? What else could you call that but a spiritual awakening? You're awakening to your powerlessness. You're awakening to the suffering. And, and what makes it distinctive and important is that it's a transformative awakening. Uh, this bears a little discussion that in the, in, at this center we teach insight meditation, uh, which is a translation of the word vipassana. My, I'm going to give you a little bit of my understanding of how that works, which is not, I don't know that this is the party line. I haven't looked up the party line lately. My experience with this practice is that a lot of insights kind of come at times, some of which are just really interesting. Um, some of them are kind of, a lot of them are kind of psychological. Um, and then there's like a gradual accumulation of what you might call wisdom or kind of an understanding where you really start to see impermanence and suffering and all that unfolding. But that many of those experiences, you know, many people will go on retreats and, wow, wow, that retreat was really amazing. Many of them don't necessarily have a transforming quality. And what I mean by that, a transforming quality, is that they change the way you live and the way you are and the way you respond and react to the world. A transformative insight, on the other hand, as opposed to just a plain old vanilla insight, is one that once having had that experience and seen that truth, you are changed internally and externally, that your life changes. And that's why I call the experience of step one the, one of the most powerful transformative insights of my life. It wasn't just that I saw, oh yeah, I got a drinking problem. It was like, I couldn't drink anymore. You know, what, made that decision. I couldn't do it anymore. It was like, no, I don't want that anymore. That was, I mean, what, talk about a psychic change. I mean, I'd wanted to be loaded every day for 20 years. And then one day, I didn't want that anymore. Wow, that's powerful. I, I mean, who needs the other, other 11 steps? Well, of course we do. But, but that really says a lot about the power of that. And, and when I came to the 12 steps and I looked at the steps and I saw spiritual awakening, I said, oh, these steps, you know, there's no way you're going to get enlightened with these steps. You know, you have to become a Buddhist and practice uh, you know, on the forest for seven years or whatever. You know, my ideas about what enlightenment was. And so I feel like that initial view is really flipped upside down now. 
now I believe you get enlightened with the first step. <laughs> the second step, says we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And, and I think that's a, an insight of itself. It's, it's another vision. It's seeing, oh, my ego doesn't work. Some other power, some other connection is going to be required for, for me to change, for me to grow further, to, for me to maintain this, this recovery path. So that was another insight. Uh, another awakening. Uh, awakening, step three, is the, in making the decision. Wow, I have to make a decision and I have to turn it over. I have to accept the things I can't change. And I have to, I have to do my part. And, and, but I can't expect to get what I want just by doing my part. I have to then accept what happens. That's another awakening. It's a, it's a letting go. And, and awakening implies a letting go. I think I, I'm going to make this statement that I don't know if it's true, that every spiritual awakening includes and might, and some are solely made up of a letting go. But I think a spiritual awakening by definition involves letting go of something. So put that aside. Keep that, Make a note of that and check for a while. <laughs> I'll try to keep track of that too because I think it's an interesting thought. Um, step four is a kind of awakening to the mess we've made, the truth of it, really seeing it. Oh yeah. I and mean, we have avoided it for a long time. When we turn and we, when we write that inventory, searching and fearless moral inventory, it's really, whoa, oh yeah, oh, I did, oh yeah. You know, there's a lot of awakening that happens in that. For me, step five, sharing the, the uh, inventory was actually awakening to uh, the lightness of my... I, I, I'm thinking of the unbearable lightness of being. It wasn't the lightness of being... <laughs> It was the, the, the lightness of my failings, as heavy as they felt in the fourth step. That's how light they felt when I, when I shared them. Um, and, and really it was that, it, it was uh, coming to see the, ultimately the, the lack of uniqueness in my own failings. That was the, the awakening. I'm not so unique. I'm not so bad. So there was also awakening compassion in that step because when I awoke, so there was awakening compassion and forgiveness and acceptance of myself. And in that, that awoke in my compassion, awoke my compassion for others as well because that, that's how compassion works. When you... if. Um, you know, authentic compassion, I believe, involves uh, seeing our own suffering and failings and realizing that they are no different from the rest of humanity. So, it's, so that in that, in that um, state, in that place of compassion, there is compassion for the self and for the other as well. So this is 
then there's an, you know, a, a pretty broad awakening. Um, step six is uh, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. And I, I guess that I would say that the, uh, there's, uh, you know, this is uh, once again just my riffing on this stuff, okay? And, and so uh, it's not, this isn't meant to be what you have to believe, but just, you know, to think about this for yourself. Step six might be about awakening to the possibility of change, that I can, I can let go, I can change. These defects of character which I have seen in the steps in four and five can be let go, can change. Uh, and that that change is going to be set in motion by the intention, being willing. And then step seven is, you know, doing the work, humbly asking to remove our shortcomings, um, but since that's all about letting go, uh, then perhaps the the awakening of that step is the the awakening that happens every time we let go, uh, and of a of a defective character. And and I'm not going to and I that's too solid a statement because I don't I'm not sure that we let go of defects of character like okay it's gone but rather moment by moment as they arise we see let go continue on oh here it is again let go here it is again let go so part of this awakening is seeing that uh, there is no uh, permanent uh, removing of all our shortcomings some shortcomings may be removed uh, uh, permanently. Is that a very strong term? So I put that in quotation marks. Um, but that's not what we can count on. <coughs> well, um, I'm wearing myself out going through all the steps like this. Uh, but I guess I, you know, I have nobody to blame but myself, so um, let me. I'll try to wrap this up. And just to say that the spiritual awakening of steps eight and nine, I think, are about awakening to the our relationships and what the wounds that have happened in our relationships, and again the possibility of healing. And uh, you know, this this whole process steps forward through. Nine, for sure, uh, part of the awakening is seeing that what is going to be required is always going to be our uh, action. Uh, for That we have to take the karmic steps to make these changes happen. And certainly step nine is very clear about that. So I think I'll, I'll stop there in terms of this kind of... Uh, Illustration, can I say? Uh, but and, and, and clearly, what I'm getting at is something again, just sort of the flip of the idea that enlightenment is this distant, unreachable experience, and um, I'm never going to get there, and I'm just going to have to practice and practice, and maybe in many lifetimes I'll get there. And rather, and how that 
absolves us of a certain responsibility. It lets us off the hook in a way that if we say, actually, no, it's right here. Uh, Is there a big enlightenment? You know, maybe. But there's a spiritual awakening, actually. Are you spiritually awake now in this moment? What's happening? Are you awake to your own heart? Are you awake to your own thoughts and feelings? Are you awake to the possibilities of service in this moment, or of love in this moment, uh, of forgiveness in this moment? When we embrace the idea of spiritual awakening as something that's happening here and now, it then becomes uh, uh, practicing these principles in all our affairs is what our lives are. And this is one of the things that I love about the steps. And it's something that we find in Buddhism as well, which is the idea that there isn't some spiritual life that's separate from our non-spiritual life. Oh, when I go to work, or when I'm with the kids, or uh, you know, when I'm at the ball game, uh, I'm, I'm not. You know, that, that's not my spiritual life. You know, my spiritual life is when I go to Spirit Rock and meditate. You know, when I get up in the morning and pray. When I read a spiritual book, or when I have one of those moments, you know, in nature, or, you know, everything comes together, and I feel that whole. I feel God. Now that's great to have those moments. But we can't depend on special moments for our spiritual condition. And it doesn't mean that we have to, you know, crank out some feeling like it's a really crappy day and like I'm supposed to feel spiritual about this. I got a flat tire. This sucks. You know, but to see, oh, that's that's what's happening right now. It sucks right now. Okay. But that's not separate from when it doesn't suck. You know, <laughs> it's just you know, all part of this thing. You know, called life. Um, Ajahn Buddhadasa says that uh, talks about little nirvanas. And he actually, one of his claims, which I think is very interesting, he says that. Uh, throughout the day, we have little moments of letting go where your mind stops for just a moment. You might not notice them, where all the tension kind of goes out, where you're not stressing. And he says, those are very brief moments of touching nirvana. And, he says, if we didn't have those, we'd go crazy. That's actually what lets us not go crazy, which maybe explain why so many people People are going crazy because they're they're not having those. So I want to go back now to the beginning of the step and and work through it a little bit again. I've certainly talked enough about spiritual awakening, but the the key, in terms of how this step is structured, I think there's an elegance to it that is purposeful. And that is that having the... The phrase that follows having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps is we tried to carry this message to alcoholics. So, you know, as I say, bracket, whatever, you know, uh, 
other addict you want to put in the parentheses, but I think the larger sense of it is really to be of service in the world, to, to help people. So whether we do it, whether we think of that as the small, smaller idea of just I'm going to help alcoholics or I'm just going to help addicts or people in Al-Anon or, or I'm going to um, just open my heart and try to be more of service in the world. The connection is that when we have a spiritual awakening, it's not for us. The idea that I'm going to get enlightened and then I'm going to feel good. I'm going to have bliss. I'm going to be happy. That's a very ego-centered idea. And it's not a spiritual idea. And it's not an idea that occurs to someone who's had a spiritual awakening. Not that it doesn't occur to them from time to time, but that that's, that's not the how that works. You know, that's not where we go with our spiritual awakening. And this is exactly the story of the Buddha. And the Buddha struggled for years, seven years. He left his family. He went off, lived an ascetic life, almost killed himself, st- almost starved himself to death, all these crazy practices he was doing, very alcoholic, as I've said, you know, <laughs> anorexic, and all, you know, he was obviously... You know, if anybody gave him a drink, he probably just would have gone off. You know. <laughs> Finally, he sits down. He has this breakthrough. And he's sitting there. And the story, it's really, it's funny the way they write the story because it really does sound like uh, like a recovery story in a way. It's because his first thought is, like, nobody's going to get this. This is just way... You know, and if I try to go out and teach this, it's just going to be annoying because people aren't going to get it. I'm just going to get frustrated. I'm just going to hang and enjoy it because he could, right? He's enlightened. I mean, he, he was really enlightened. We're not just talking, you know, first step enlightenment. We're talking, you know, just whatever psychic change is, he had it big time. So he's sitting there, and my interpretation, once again, of this moment is he's showing a little arrogance. It's like, nobody's going to get this. I'm like way beyond all those people, losers, you know. (laughs) And so in the story, a god comes to him. One of the Brahma gods comes down or comes from the Brahma heavens. He says, dude, there's some people who will get it. (laughs) Who are you calling dude? That's not quite the language of it. But... Um, but uh, the phrase is there are some with just a little dust in their eyes this beautiful phrase and it really was to me a little bit pulling the rug out from under the Buddha's arrogance about uh, again I've never heard anybody else make this claim so don't tell anybody I said this because I could get in trouble with the higher ups Uh, you're not supposed to criticize the guy you're sorry um in any case, however we interpret it, the, since in our culture we don't believe that gods talk to us, except some people believe that. Some, some of them have run our country. But anyway, um, we, our understanding, our contemporary understanding of that is it occurred to him that there were some people who would get it. And, and I, you know, the... Uh, What's really going on here is he's sitting there going, well, what, can, what am I going to do now? And it's kind of like, well, I can sit around here, but what's the point of that? 
have I done all this work just so that I can sit here and be in bl- the bliss of nirvana for the rest of my life? Uh, that's nice, but I mean, really? Is that all there is? And it, he realizes, well, the thing to do is to help other people to get there. Because this is it. This is the ultimate. And I sh- shouldn't be the only one to get this. This should be shared with the world. It's exactly what uh, a 12-stepper gets. Oh, I'm sober. Great. Well, and, the, you know, of course, the 12-step literature puts it a little differently. They say the way for us to hold on to it is to give it away. I don't know if that was true for the Buddha, too, but uh, maybe. Uh, there's an, a beauty and an elegance to that, too, in the 12 steps. And it, it's, it, one of the things that I see about the steps is that they trick you into doing things by telling you that it's for you. You know, and they trick you into being of service by knowing that alcoholics are you know, concerned about themselves. So, oh, it's just for you. You need to help other people. No, don't worry. It's not for them. It's for you you're doing this. So, this is a, you know, there's an, so there's an elegance to this step then, that, that this, this process, that we awaken. It's not for us. It's not selfish. It's, there's no, and this again, come, where where the twelve step language and program and practice and path is not so explicitly but implicitly pointing to the same idea that Buddhism pushes points us to, which is that there really isn't any separation between us. There really isn't uh, a. Uh, you know, an I here, a solid self. Uh, there's a, everything's connected. When we only use our first name in meetings, when we say that spiritual or that uh, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, I don't think that what's the important element of that is that you don't tell people that you are in a program or that you don't go on the radio and. TV and say that you're in in AA. What's spiritual about that is that when you walk into a meeting, you're dropping your identity. You're dropping all the uh, the trappings of your identity, except just a name that will help to keep track of you in the in the room. But you don't walk in the meeting as Joe, the guy who owns the you know, car repair shop and Susie the plumber, you know. You you walk in there just as yourself. When I go to a meeting, I'm not Kevin Griffin, the guy who wrote One Breath at a Time. I'm Kevin. I'm an alcoholic and an addict. You know, that that stuff goes out the door because that's that's what's weighing us down, <coughs> that identity. And it's, it's freeing when we drop that and just move into a space as a being, as a, as a being who's sharing beingness with others. Well, that's what this, this step, and that's what the Buddhist uh, movement towards service is expressing, that, that understanding that, that uh, the ways that we define ourselves and separate ourselves from others are, are the ways that we cause ourselves suffering, that we... Uh, that, uh, that uh, awakened spirituality uh, sees the connection, not the separation. 
And then the step concludes by saying, practice these principles in all our affairs, which to me is the uh, loophole closer. In case you were wondering if there was some time when you didn't have to practice these principles, forget about it. You know, this is it. You know, you, this is about your whole life. This isn't about special times when you go to meetings or you go to meditation or you're you know, uh, in those uh, uh, identified, structured, ritualistic times uh, of spirituality. But, they are, but this is about living a life of spirituality, which is, as I said, the same thing the Buddha is saying with the Noble Eightfold Path. I mean, people tend to focus on, oh, mindfulness, that's the Buddhist path, and concentration. And, but it's also got right livelihood in there as part of the Eightfold Path. It doesn't say, oh, that's a minor part of the Eightfold Path. It's right there, one-eighth of the path. It's your livelihood. The five precepts, another eighth of the path, not to harm, not to steal, not to kill. Not to use intoxicants, not to lie, not to harm people with our sexuality. The way we live is our spiritual path. Our spiritual path isn't something that's separate from our lives. People will say this, oh, I'm not very spiritual. That's uh, like they have to go somewhere to be spiritual. Well, take a breath. You're spiritual. What is that? That's what the word spirit comes from, right? Inspire to, to to breathe in, to breathe out, and the, finally, I'll say what I what I find intriguing about this step also is that it says these principles, but it doesn't exactly say what these principles are. And I think that's uh, again something for us to contemplate. I. I was at a meeting in Delaware uh, a couple, a few months ago. I guess it was over Thanksgiving. And they had a little handout, the principles of the program. So this is what that meeting, and I don't know where they got it, but this is what they say the principles of the program are. Step one, honesty. Step two, hope. Step three, faith. Step four, courage. Step five, integrity. Step six, willingness. Step seven, humility. Step eight, brotherly love. (laughs) Step nine, justice. Step ten, perseverance. Step eleven, spiritual awareness. Step twelve, service. It's one list can make your own. So those are some thoughts on step 12. We've got a few more minutes if there are any of your thoughts or questions or comments. Nothing came up. That's great. It's really the power of my presence that just causes emptiness to pervade all beings who come within a certain. Just everything dissolves into uh, 
oneness. I particularly uh, liked your insight about um, anonymity in um, 12-step meetings. Mm -hmm. I actually never thought of it that way. And... um, well, I just came up with that, that as a defense against the fact that I sort of break my anonymity in my, in my books. So I had to figure out a way to rationalize that that wasn't the really important part. I think you're right on. Oh, you yeah, know? I, I agree. Because <laughs> there is a, you know, you can go into a meeting or after a meeting and have there be a lot of debate about anonymity, no, whether yeah. it's on the radio, on yeah, the TV, yeah. right. uh, your personalities, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. And I think what you've said is much more uh, poignant, much more to the, to the point. Yeah, uh, it, <laughs> it, it, it's a spiritual yeah. issue then. It isn't a political issue. Or, exactly, or, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hi. Hi. Um, I'd just like to say thanks for this class and the series. It's been <clears throat> really awesome. And uh, it's definitely helped me with my program and with my understanding of meditation um, in a very simple ways. Because I jumped in in the middle years and years ago and had a very <clears throat> hard experience meditating. So <clears throat> it's good to start the basics. Yeah. But the um, meditation today, I um, I had a lot of release with crying and a lot of yawning, 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 mm-hmm. yawning. And I, I don't think I'm very tired. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking that my body or my inner self really want to awaken. And then when I do that really intense yawning, mm-hmm. I, th- I think that I heard somewhere along the way <clears throat> that, that, that the body or the soul wants to awaken. Mm. And uh, um, and then that could just be my attachment to yawning. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, I don't know. But um, I was wondering what your thoughts are on that. On yawning? Yeah. <laughs> is, it just, is it just a false uh, idea that I have? Because it was really intense. Just yawn after yeah. yawn and crying and spinning out and or going up something in my body was kind of doing this infinite eight, you know, like a lot more movement happening, but it could just be some attachment that I have, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I guess as you're talking about, I'm, I'm remembering what, how sometimes if I'm crying and I yawning is, seems like it's a way to stop crying. Usually if I yawn, Sometimes that'll happen to me. I'll be crying and then I'll like yawn and it'll kind of like take the wind out of it in some way. And I'm not, sh- I don't know what the relationship is. Probably somebody's done research on that, you know, because they research everything. Um, but in generally, it, it just sounds like, I mean, w- one way of characterizing it is kind of energy being pro- processed or, you know, karma being burnt off, kind of, uh, which is sort of a risky phrase, but just that, um, you know, as emotions come up, they get expressed through the body. 
and emotions. Uh, one, one of the qualities of emotions is that they have an energetic quality in it. And that energetic quality is kind of, I think, is what gets expressed in the body. So they can be, you know, they can be dullness, it can be elation, it can be tears, it can be yawning. It's just, just energy. And how do you feel now? Um, good. Uh, good. I had um, a lots of different um, evolutions of process yeah. in that meditation. And I also wanted to say thanks for last week um, for you to sit up there in your uncomfortableness. Was I uncomfortable last week? Yeah, you were sick. Oh. And it was hard. And then. Oh, when I was feeling nauseous. Yeah. Was that mm -hmm. last week? Yeah. See, I have really bad. (laughs) It goes by quick. A couple weeks ago. And, um, but I often feel very uncomfortable in my meditations. Yeah. Yeah. So it took me a while, like week, to reflect on that. But I wanted to thank you for sitting up there and teaching mm-hmm. <clears throat> in that place. Yeah. And thank you so much for the class. Yeah. I really enjoy meditating with you. Good. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. <clears throat> me too. <laughs> I just wrote a a quick blog this afternoon because I there's a there's a website or kind of a, a blog site called uh, Improve Our Conscious Contact that I've been writing for for a few years. And you can look it up. They have different writers every month. And I've been writing like one month, once, uh, once a year for the last few years. And, and I was supposed to write in April and I just got an email a couple of days. Oh, you were supposed to write something. And I was like, oh, right. Yeah, right. I'm right. And so I just wrote about trying to control our experience in meditation um, because that's been something that's kind of been a theme in my teaching lately and and um, just that how particularly that and in reference to what we're talking about here that there we usually come to meditation with these expectations about what we're supposed to get out of it and what it's supposed to be like and then if it doesn't live up to that expectation, we try to control it. Why do I feel, what, you know, what can I do so that my back doesn't hurt when I'm meditating? What can I do so that I'm not sleepy when I'm meditating? What can I do so that I won't have so many thoughts when I'm meditating? Which is all about trying to control your experience. Rather than mindfulness saying, what's happening? Can I be present with it? Can I allow it? And sometimes it's pleasant and sometimes it's unpleasant. No. Kind of like life. Yeah. I've been um, reading your, your writings and, and listening to you speak now in, in this last year of my adventure in, in sobriety with AA and really feeling very, very, um, you know, as if I'm growing and learning and very positive about that. Um, want to thank you. I really appreciate the growth that I've had in in terms of my understanding of Buddhism and meditation and insight and and becoming more mindful. And I'm 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 very excited about this idea of the interconnectedness and 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 looking at you know these similarities and the commonality that we all have and and you know the the reflection on the 12 steps 
in comparison or in context or in conjunction with Buddhism. Mm-hmm. One of the problems that I have is that, and, and I'm sure this is me, but I, I want to put it out there, is that I sort of feel that I'm, I'm in your classes and, and readings and, and other you know, 12-step um, Buddhism recovery, Buddhism recovery, you know, environments. Mm-hmm. And I see this sort of willingness to do some interpretation and, and there's an understanding and I, and I go back into the AA world and I feel like that is separate. That, you know, there's this sort of rigidity that um, isn't able to look at sort of the flexibility of being able to bring any Buddhist perspective into that. Um, and I wonder if you have any comments on that. I think, I think I'm also looking for maybe a sponsor that might have more of, more of the, the perspective of, of, of a Buddhist worldview or view of the steps also. And, you know, maybe this is in the context to discuss that, but um, not necessarily a Buddhist AA group. Yeah. Um, but there, you know, there, se- there seems to be sort of a division between AA and in, in what I see. And, and, you know, I come here on Thursdays after going to an AA meeting on Wednesday, and, and, and there isn't interconnectedness. Mm-hmm. It, it seems to be a separation. And, um, you know, again, it could, you, could I mean, I'm certain it's me and my views, but I was wondering well, if you had any comments. Yeah. I guess that what I would say is that AA or any program is made up of individuals and there's no authority in the same way that there is here. I'm sitting up here as a, an authority and trying to hold, have a context for things and, and, um, and I have a certain expertise as well, um, whereas uh, in, in AA, it's like the, the historical literature is kind of the only thing that's recognized as an authority. And then different people take on leadership roles and try to be authorities. And that can then start to um, create the impression, uh, like it cre- can create a culture in different meetings and in different areas, I suppose, that uh, imply that that's what the program is and that's what the steps mean. Um, well, I like to think that, and, and I, I have had the experience of, of being in plenty of meetings where I felt that there was a real open-mindedness and uh, exploration. I, I, it's the... The I mean, I've heard people say some of the things that I say in meetings, but without referring to Buddhism. And, and th- there is that inherent tension that uh, since we're not affiliated, the 12-step programs are not affiliated with any religion, uh, to start to talk about Buddhism any more than to talk about Christianity is technically speaking off-limits. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know if it's even technically speaking, but generally, as I understand it, that's considered off-limits. And 
and yet, of course, it's done at times. Um, for myself, I've come to see that uh, my program has a certain role for me, but and one of the reasons that I started doing what I'm do is that that it didn't fulfill all my needs from a spiritual viewpoint, but it fulfilled some of them. And there are some things I can get at a meeting that I can't get here. Uh, so I like knowing that there's all this stuff, and I, and I consider myself very lucky that there are these different uh, ways for me to do this work, that I can go on a Buddhist retreat or I can go to an AA meeting. And, and many other things, of course. But uh, So, um, I, I guess if I'm going to give advice, it would be uh, don't worry too much about that. You know, don't, don't try to force everybody to get along or to ag- understand or agree with everything. Just go and, as they say, take what you need and leave the rest. And then go where you need to go to get the, what else you need. Don't expect the, the one one place to, fulfill, to take care of all your needs. It's like expecting one person to take care of all your needs, and we know what that does, <laughs> those of us who are relationship addicts. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, we seem to be out of time. Um, and I, I, again, you know, just to say that this has been, for me, a really enjoyable, and I kind of feel re-inspired teaching this course this year. I, there were a couple years ago where I decided not to teach it for a year, and um, and then I took it up again, and because uh, as I kind of, if if not said directly, I've certainly alluded to the fact that I don't like repeating myself and kind of doing the same thing over and over and doing the same class over and over is challenging for me, but um, I guess doing it once a year shouldn't be that hard. I'm such a whiner. <laughs> but uh, but it, it's, it's really been good working with all of you, and, re- and really what makes a class uh, work is the people who come and their involvement. You know, it just, there's just, it's another one of those kind of misunderstandings. It's like, oh, that teacher was so good. It's like, no, the group is good. <laughs> you know, the group is good and that makes the teacher better. Hopefully I was good, you know. But uh, anyway, um, it makes me think I'll probably do this again next year. But in the meantime, I hope I will see you all at some other events or, uh, and I hope you will continue to practice these principles in all your affairs. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.